Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of GodPod and uh, today uh, we are in our usual homes locked away during the lockdown and the pandemic and everything else like that so, so I guess many of you are or maybe if you're listening to this after the pandemic is over how wonderful that will be but uh, we are still uh, locked down in our homes and so we have um, there's myself Graham Tomlin and uh, Jane Williams who is in Cardiff. Hello. Jane. Yep I'm in Cardiff yep. And we have Michael, who is on my screen here in Oxford, who is uh, bathed in sunshine. I'm bathed in sunshine. I'm also not in my home. I'm in my office. Uh, some some of us need to keep working. Some some of us keep workers. Very good. Glad you're still working, Michael. And um, they haven't thrown you out yet. No, no, they haven't rumbled me. No, they haven't. And uh, we are delighted to have another uh, guest with us today, who is Will Willimon. And uh, Will, it's lovely to have you with us. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Good. Well, Will is, um, uh, some of you may know Will, if you don't know him, he's the uh, Professor of the Practice of Christian Ministry in Duke Divinity School in uh, North Carolina. Uh, he was Dean of the Chapel there for a number of years and was a Bishop of the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church as well, a retired Bishop, but still uh, involved in Duke and still active in ministry. So, uh, uh, Will, it's great to have you on the call here. And um, uh, personally, I've really enjoyed your books over the years. I remember reading uh, Resident Aliens, the book that you wrote with Stanley Howard some number of years ago and having a profound impact upon, upon me at the time. And we may well just get onto that a little bit later on. But um, it's great to have you with us. And um, I gather you've been listening to GodPod for, for, for a while. Oh, I sure have. I was present at the birth. Uh, I feel uh, <laughs> that's the long when time. When I was bishop in Alabama, GodPod was key to, at time, rescuing me from the mire of ecclesiastical bureaucracy mm. and uh, what a joy. I remember after a particularly dull, difficult day, shuffling papers and making decisions and making people unhappy. Uh, <laughs> I remember that evening I, I said, oh, there's a new God pot out. And um, you guys were discussing the Trinity or various aspects of Trinitarian theology. And it was, it was like a rescue. And it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, look at me. You are not simply a boring administrator. You get to talk about the Trinity. Now go out and get people. To... So anyway, it, I, I thank you. you it, I love the way you love theology and love talking about these matters and your affection comes through. Well, it's very... Uh, nice to hear that because most people find that after a dull difficult god pod they find shuffling papers a huge relief <laughs> that yeah i i didn't find it so but yeah thank you yeah well i know what, exactly what you mean well being a bishop sometimes you have to <laughs> shuffle your papers make people unhappy and but um but every now and again you get to do something really really fun as well as and um and uh you know being on god pod is a great um 
kind of, uh, yeah, puts everything in perspective sometimes, which is really good, and it's being involved in that. Well, look, um, we'll, we'd love to um, uh, launch off, obviously, with GodPod. We never quite know where the discussion is going to take us, and uh, today is no different, and we're really looking forward to this conversation with you. Uh, but maybe we'll start with um, a book you've, you've written recently, which came out, uh, which is called um, Preacher's Dare. And the subtitle is uh, Speaking for God, which is a really interesting kind of idea. The idea that um, when, a, when someone gets up to preach, uh, they are, as it were, speaking for God, not just speaking about God, but speaking for God. And I guess uh, listeners to God pod, some may be preachers, uh, some will be those who listen to a lot of preaching. Um, but I guess that, that idea that when the preacher gets up to preach, whether it's whatever context it might be, they are in a way speaking for God or speaking, or God is speaking through that sermon. It's quite a kind of revolutionary idea, isn't it? And I guess a lot of people would say the question, you know, well, well how can it be that, that mm. if a sermon is somehow God speaking when, let's be honest, an awful lot of the sermons we hear are pretty dull. Um, how do we hold on to that idea that God is somehow speaking through a sermon, through the kind of frail, fragile words of an ordinary preacher like, like the rest of us? You know, Graham, even, even as you say it, I'm, I'm thinking, what an outrageous assertion to make that uh, I'm speaking for God. Uh, I, would, I would also say, uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking, somebody comes out and says, your sermon was boring. Maybe I should say, that's not a very nice thing to say about the Lord's conversation. Uh, <laughs> how dare you? Uh, but uh, no, it, it, it is revolutionary. And it's, uh, as you know, not original with me. The second Helvetic Confession says the preached word is God's word, which was a, a thought held throughout by all the reformers. And my title of my book, Preachers Dare, comes from a set of lectures that Karl Barth did in Gerdigen in the 1920s. And he opens his, these are theology lectures, but he opens his lectures by saying, I'm going to talk about theology for the purpose of proclamation, for the purpose of preparing preachers, which was sort of an outrageous assertion in itself in the academy, uh, even in that day. But but it, 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 is, it is a kind of scandalous, outlandish assertion, and yet it is a, an assertion, as you know, kind of at the heart of the Reformation uh, view of preaching. And Bart says, it, uh, Bart says in his lectures, we're going to have to go ahead and grasp hold of the subject. Uh, no, no cowardice here, no reservations, no qualifications. The preached word is God's word. And if you, and, and so he says preachers dare. Preachers dare to do what? They dare to speak up, uh, not only for God, but they also dare to speak with God. And that's the kind of scandal at the heart. Yeah. So what kind of preparation do preachers have to do so that you don't end up thinking of yourself as God's spokesperson. I mean, because uh, that, I, I, that comes across as potentially really dangerous and arrogant. It, it is. I, mean, it, I, I think it is very dangerous. And it, it can be very arrogant. Um, 
I find it helpful to admit that. Uh, Mark famously says, you know, we cannot speak for God. We, we, uh, and yet God orders us to speak for God. Uh, we, we cannot, we must. And I think in that tension, and part of being a preacher means to keep it in tension, but uh, you were asking uh, about uh, how can we uh, bear this? I mean, one thing, uh, prayer becomes, as Bart said, prayer is the beginning of how you do theology. Um, speaking for God begins in listening. I, I must say, too, that I don't find it very helpful as a preacher to <laughs> to think of myself constantly as speaking for God, and I, I don't find it helpful to be the first thing I say or think about. <laughs> I, it, and I'm also, I, I note in the book, if it, it, you talk to preachers about what it's like, what is it like to be a spokesperson uh, for God? I think most of them say it is, it is a burden. Mm-hmm. A, and, you know, they, at our best, we preachers understand the arrogance, the potential arrogance of that, the self-delusion that can come with that. But I think most of us experience the difficulty. Um, I mean, for instance, as a young preacher, I remember I had a funeral uh, in my church uh, for a young child, a virtual toddler who had died of leukemia. And I was a young preacher at my first church. And I remember sitting in my study and saying, Lord, I am not going out there and make some excuse for this. Uh, I am not going out there and, uh, and and try to act like there's anything good to be said in this moment. I'm not going to do that. To which I really feel the Lord said to me, well, then get out. If, if you don't have the guts to speak up for me. And, and so I remember going out in the funeral and saying, I'm speechless before this tragedy. I, I don't want to be here standing before you, grieving family, grieving congregation. So I'm just going to have to let Paul talk. And I went to Romans 8. And to me, that's the speaking for God that, that which I find to be a deeply humbling, humiliating experience, mm. oftentimes. And Sometimes it's harder for me. I feel more humble to have to stand up and preach good news in the midst of an occasion like that than I have to stand up and preach so-called prophetic judgmental news. But I don't know that, but I think it's so important, Jane. I, I like your reminder. We're in dangerous territory here. And we, it's, Therefore, it takes uh, the constant development of character, of self-awareness. I remember the great Peter Story, a Methodist bishop, South Africa, one of Tutu's colleagues. He was in my uh, office vesting to preach in Duke Chapel. And I casually said to him, Peter, I was interested you you going with the epistle this morning. You didn't go with the gospel. Uh, I would have thought, you would have gone with the gospel knowing you. And he said, oh, I wanted to. I wanted to preach the gospel so badly because 
I like nothing better than just to beat the hell out of a congregation like yours. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of privileged, powerful university people. But the Lord wouldn't let me. And the Lord said, Peter, don't touch it. Walk away from that text. You, you, you know, that'll bring out the worst in you. Go with the <laughs> epistle. And I thought, what a statement of clerical character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm to be able to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I, with this congregation and what I'm feeling, I probably can't go with that text. <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting though, isn't it? Because when you think about it, preaching is a very bizarre activity. Um, it's a bizarre way for God to choose to speak to people. He could speak to people individually. Uh, they could do their own biblical study yeah. and, and be nourished by the text. And yet he always seems to work through people uh, yeah and to make them need each other yeah uh, right it, it's uh you know and mike i've over the years appreciated some of your remarks about incarnation uh, generally i agree with stanley harawas that when episcopalians uh, our version of anglicans talk about incarnation uh be very careful uh of them uh <laughs> But but uh, you can talk to me about incarnation any day you like. Um, but uh, Bart makes a big deal about the Chalcedonian formula, uh, the, uh, what George Hunsker calls the Chalcedonian imagination. And, and I think it is bizarre. Maybe a more positive way to put that it is, it, it is a wonder that uh, God uses obviously frail, ordinary, self-deceitful, untrustworthy people like me to stand up and say, in effect, thus saith the Lord. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it's a heck of a way to get your revelation out into the world, but it appears to be his way. And it is no more scandalous than the fact that when we look at a Jew from Nazareth who lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly, to say, that's God. That's as much a God as we ever hoped to see. And so it, it is part of the scandal. And um, again, Bart says, uh, you know, we can't back away from that scandal. We've got to embrace it. So. And, uh, well, how does it relate, do you think, to sort of giftedness in preaching? Because I guess there are there are people you know of who are just really good at orators. They're rhetorically very strong. You you know they they put their their uh, pre their sermons on the internet and everyone listens to them. And there are others preachers who struggle and are not great to listen to and uh, and so on. And I suppose that, you know there are the kind of preachers that everyone wants to listen to, and there are them, those who don't have great gifts in this. And so, and I suppose if it's if 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 that kind of reformation insight that somehow through the sermon God speaks, not not even just through the Bible, just through the the, the you know the the word uh, preached by the sermon, surely has no no particular relationship to giftedness or others. But I, that's what I'm trying to tease out. You know, how does God speaking through a sermon relate to um, to giftedness? And particularly, I guess, particularly you know if you're a member of a church where your, 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 your minister, your vicar is not a great preacher. How do you find the word of God there? Or even if you are a preacher who knows that actually, you know, maybe this isn't my great strong point. I'm a great pastor, but I'm not a great preacher. You know, how do you kind of navigate all of that? You know, I, I bet Bart, for what that's worth, would be 
suspicious of giftedness claims uh, or attributions. Um, As a bishop, one thing I vowed to God that I would do uh, is I would not appoint a clergy person whom I had not heard preach. because that always seemed to me odd that Methodist bishops do that. Um, that was tough because I had 600 clergy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but e- each year when we would move clergy, I would say, send me a couple of your sermons and I would listen to them. Mm-hmm. By the way, I immediately regretted that uh, <laughs> vow, uh, similar to a number of vows I made to God in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, so I would in January listen to 70 or 80 sermons uh, from people. And I try to respond. Anyway, Graham, in listening to that, I, I was often amazed at the rhetorical, revelatory resourcefulness mm-hmm. of God. That uh, I'd be listening to someone who was obviously not great talent, not a great voice, similar to my voice. Um, and uh, I would say, wow, that, that spoke to me. And I remember the pastor who got up with a virtual speech impediment as it came across, a, a great deal of kind of stammering. And, and he said, uh, what I have got to say to you this morning, I don't think is going to come as news to any of you. And I don't think it's that profound. But I pray to God it'll be helpful. Well, I thought, he either doesn't know what he's doing or he is a genius in what he's doing (laughs) because I was right with the congregation there listening to every word there. And it was a powerful sermon precisely because of its lack of power and just says, I'm, I'm a fellow traveler with you and I hope to be helpful. Well, it, it spoke. So uh, I tell students in preaching classes, uh, some of you are very gifted. This will come easily. Sometimes your gifts will be your greatest burden in preaching and will need to be disciplined. But for others of you who don't have gifts in preaching, um, go with it and just marvel that God called somebody like you to preach (laughs) and that God promises, I don't call people that I don't intend to use and I want you to succeed at this. So uh, pray for a double portion of the Holy Spirit and and go with it. And I, sorry, no. yeah, I heard um, James Lawrence giving a seminar recently on the pandemic and ministering in it. And one of the things he said struck me and stuck with me, which was, you know, te- Hollywood and television have vast resources. Which, with which, in a sense, we're competing as preachers. Mm-hmm. But, but the church can out-local anyone. Mm. And, and you phrase. may be able to go onto the web and listen to fabulous yeah. preachers, but they don't know your community. They don't know your people, the people in the pews around you. Uh, mm-hmm. And while there are dangers of abusing that, of course, as well, but that, but that basic knowledge actually goes a huge way. Um, Amen. And and I know my wife, uh, Patsy, has said to me, uh, you used to get away with murder in the pulpit uh, routinely because you're <laughs> such a great pastor. 
and said, you just love them and do submission to, you know, and I said, well, uh, thank you. But, uh, uh, and I remember the woman who told me her husband uh, was so angry after one of my sermons and said, he went out the car, slammed the door. And she said, I'm sure you really didn't like that sermon. He said, I hated it. And he said, how dare he? And then she said, as he started up the car, he said, oh, I wish to hell he hadn't set up with my mother when she was dying at the hospital all night. <laughs> and I, it, 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 maybe the Holy Spirit uses that. Of, and, and I'm still thinking of Graham's comment about talent. Uh, maybe this is a better response, but it, I marvel that in scripture, the prophets, and I am not a prophet, uh, you know, I do a prophetic role, uh, but um, I just marvel in the prophets that we know nothing about, about them, where they came from. You know, we know a little bit about Amos and, and this and that, but the prophets sort of burst on the scene out of nowhere. In a sense, there is no existence of a prophet until the prophet is called. There's nothing there there. And furthermore, it, it, as you know, it's very stereotypical for a prophet to say, I, I, wait, wait, I'm not good at this. I don't want this. I, uh, I'm not good at public speaking. And the Lord usually says, go, sh go. Um, I'll give you the words. Uh, I'm, I'm not expecting you to, you'll say whatever I put into your mouth, Jeremiah. And maybe that's of great hope to preachers that, uh, God calls whom God calls. Yeah, it it and, always strikes me that um, St. Paul was a pretty lousy preacher by, by all accounts. Yeah. You, know, we, we, you know, we're told that he was idiotes to Tologo. You know, he was an idiot when it came to speaking. He was really not yeah. very, you know. And, <laughs> not you know, impressive. When he was in Troas, you know, Eutyches falls asleep during his sermon and falls out of the window. You know, he was, he was that mm -hmm. boring. And, um, and yet, you know, half of the New Testament is written by St. Paul, you know, so if ever there was a person through whom the word of God came, it was Paul, but he was a bad preacher. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I suppose, I, I suppose my, my thought on this is that, that, you know, the kind of framework you're, you're giving here, which is that sort of, you know, deep insight that somehow in, the, in, in a miracle of God, that when a preacher preaches the word of God connected to a text of scripture, that somehow God speaks through that, that what, what, if you, if you approach the act of preaching with that, mindset whether you're the listener or the preacher it does change the the nature of what's happening that if you're a preacher getting up to preach and thinking that somehow you know you it's a slightly overcoming thought that actually god might speak through you on that occasion but again if you're a listener going to to church, church and listening to your to your minister your vicar preaching and they may or may not be very good but in a sense going to it thinking well actually i'm going to hear the voice of god today it actually makes you approach that occasion in a very different way than you would do otherwise. And so this really, sort of framework is something nice that really is the way that yeah. you put it. And I'm very pleased to hear you saying that, Graham, because I'm a lay person and I don't do a lot of preaching, but I've always loved it that Calvin said um, one of the marks of a church is where the word of God is rightly preached and heard, because yeah. that means that actually it is a joint enterprise. Nice point. Um, yeah, they, the... To, to show up with that expectation uh, is, and my book betrays a prejudice of mine, and that is that 
preaching is a theological activity, not only in its subject matter, but in its agency. And if you don't believe that, I can't think of any good reason why you're talking I mean, <laughs> as a preacher. That I mean, to put it bluntly, that um, that somehow you've got to believe, you've got to have a, a theology of revelation, which says God uses human speech for God's speech. Uh, and thus, I began my reflections on preaching by talking about the speech of God and saying, you know, there's a lot we don't know about God. But certainly from scripture, we know God is relentlessly loquacious <laughs> and communicative. God doesn't seem to like secrecy. Uh, and, and Jesus comes preaching. And um, therefore, one thing we know about this God is this God is determined to be in conversation. This God is determined to find a way to be heard. So therefore, we preachers can preach in a certain confidence. And uh, that that theological basis has, to me, has got to be the basis of preaching. And I criticize a lot of contemporary homiletics that I think is mostly based on rhetorical concerns, etc. Et For instance, I've always loved Bart's observation. Uh, don't try to analyze your congregation. Uh, uh, your congregation is secretive. They are arcane. They are self uh, and and other deluding, uh, and then he, he he basically says in effect, you know so much more about Jesus Christ than you will ever know about your congregation. <laughs> now that flies in the face of so much contemporary thing about exegete your people and all. Well, Bart says your people are liars and self-deceiving, and so it, it, they are guarded. But Jesus Christ is not. Jesus Christ is just fully open. He and so. Uh, the theological, Christological reasons for preaching, I think, are the most important reasons. It also strikes me that it depends on what people bring to listening to a to a sermon. And you know, if you come to it thinking, "Well, this is an interesting intellectual exercise," you know, <clears throat> I just want to kind of hear it, yeah. listen, weigh it up, and maybe give it a mark and say yeah, it was a good sermon or a bad sermon. That's one approach. But the other approach is when you you know you come to church desperate to hear something that is going to make a difference to your life because you know mm -hmm. you're in a really bad place. And I think that's true. The, and I worry that maybe we have unconsciously, uh, we preachers have malformed our people to ask the wrong questions. I mean, somebody comes out from Duke Chapel and says, are you an expert on economics? And I said, no. Uh, well, then why are you commenting on economics? And uh, I said, I'm not speaking as an economist. I'm just speaking uh, for God. <laughs> I don't say that, but I, <laughs> um, but or I'd say in the churches that I know about in my church family, the big problem is um, people come to church expecting the sermon to be about them. They come to church thinking, I've got these needs, and the preacher is going to connect with my needs, and the preacher is going to give me some advice for meeting those needs. I think that has been deadly uh, for preaching and for preachers uh, because I, I'm just not sure that's of the nature of the gospel to basically say to us, hello, 
what would you really, really like more than you'd like Jesus Christ? Uh, sexual fulfillment, a happy marriage, uh, chaste and obedient children. Oh, go oh, good, good. Jesus can deliver that. You know, no. A proclamation of an event, a fact. God is Jesus Christ among us that's news that's good news and so again the theological the theological issues with preaching often start with the biblical interpretation where a preacher rummages around saying i wonder how this will connect with the obsessions of my people at the moment rather than saying i wonder how this reveals god but excuse me for and therefore uh Prayer is rather an essential element <laughs> in, that, in that process. I, I, we were talking earlier about people having, you know, great skill or not having great skill. Um, and I just thought of Spurgeon's great comment, you know, great talents you may never have. He said to his students, um, which was must have been encouraging to them, uh, great talents you may never have, but you will do well enough without them if you abound in intercession. Oh, Wow. Wow. I think, yeah. I think given, as you say, that this is theological in a sense, both of its subject, but also its agency, mm -hmm. it has got to be that which lubricates the whole project, doesn't it? Um, and, and prayer, yeah, and to think of my sermon as an exercise in prayer, I'm, I'm not only talking about God and for God, but I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to speak to God. I am being an intercessor saying, Lord, we've heard your word and we find it very difficult uh, this morning. Or um, I remember I was speaking in Birmingham at the Church of the Reconciliation, a church that is for, by, and with homeless people, people who are ill-housed on the streets of Birmingham. And it's an amazing church. Um, well, my first visit there, I came in and I was preaching to the lectionary and I looked out on these people gathered off the streets of the city and I thought, I'm dead. Uh, I can't believe I brought this sermon in here. This is wrong. Come on, Lord, give me something. Uh, lying. And uh, it, 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 was a, it was an experience of the Holy Spirit, I think. Um, I stood up and I said, oh, um, who knows what Jesus did for a living? What was his work? And somebody shouted out, it was a carpenter. I said, well, no, uh, his, his, his daddy was a carpenter, but we, there's no record that he ever helped out in the shop. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, uh, and uh, so somebody else shouted out, Preacher, tell us what he did. And I said, um, he appears to be unemployed, uh, <laughs> except for, uh, I said he preached, but back then uh, people didn't know that you could defuse a preacher with a good salary and a pension. So he, he, he just be preached. And uh, I said, well, where, where did he live? Where did he live? And somebody said, shouted out, did he have an apartment? And I said, um, 
No, we actually have good biblical information. He he didn't even have a hole to crawl into. Uh, he had nowhere to lay his head. Uh, and uh, I said, I think that's one reason he went to so many dinner parties. Uh, he went wherever he was invited, <laughs> even to people that didn't like him and caused trouble uh, when he went there. And uh, I, I said, Jesus was a unemployed, uh, homeless beggar I, I guess and so somebody shouted out that's okay jesus that's okay that's okay i don't have i don't have nowhere to live neither <laughs> and i said so that means that i'm just praying okay holy spirit come on get, give, give me another line here and uh <laughs> uh i said so that means that you know i can read this in the original greek um i've given my life to the study of jesus i'm a bishop but there's a sense in which you know Jesus better than I will ever know him. That there's a sense in which you're closer than I can be. Uh, well, it was suddenly the band struck up <laughs> and people started shouting and dancing and everything. And I thought, uh, of course, when I got out of my car, it, the Holy Spirit said to me, all right, I, I saved you on this one, but next week you need to prepare better. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was just, uh, in a sense, in a sense, more than I dare to admit, that's me every Sunday. I mean, that's me every Sunday saying, Lord, say to them what I can't say. Say to them, but make my words mean more than I can make them mean. And Every preacher does have this experience of, you know, you're coming out of church and somebody says to you, oh, preacher, I am so glad you spoke out on abortion. I'm, I'm so glad we, we needed that. We need it. And I'm saying, I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> I don't remember saying I, I didn't mention abortion. That's <laughs> never, I, I didn't mention it in the sermon. That's not a sermon about, I've got the manuscript. I can show you. It's not about that. Well, it, it's like the Holy Spirit said, I'm sorry, I decided to preach a different sermon than you thought you were preaching, and but it, this is my job, okay? I once had someone who um, apparently told me my sermon con converted them to vegetarianism, and I didn't even well, mention vegetarianism. Oh. <laughs> <I think. Yeah>. <laughs> Just <laughs> it happened, I don't think it's quite it worked, you know, but anyway. But I love what... the idea of congregations dancing and singing. Is that what happens when you preach, Mike, Graham? Do people dance and sing? All the time. All the time. <laughs> now, this, this That's never what they do when it finishes, Jane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, one other question: the because um, you 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 give a really good example of speaking to a homeless congregation. There's another book you've you've written recently. It's called um, called the Gospel for the Person Who Has Everything. Ah, and uh, I guess you know how, how do you preach to the opposite to that to a congregation, or you know if you, or if you're coming into church or something, you've got everything you need. You don't really need anything beyond the kind of material things of this life. You know, what's what's the heart of preaching to that context? Well, I, you know, a funny way, I think it's important to say it's, it's more difficult. Mm. Uh, there's just vast portions of scripture that if, if you've never been honest to God hungry, if you've never put your child to bed hungry at night, if you've never been in jail or had any of your family in jail, it's going to be an interpretive leap for you <laughs> to, to, to understand the scripture. 
and be careful, preachers. Don't psychologize the text and do all the stuff that we do. Uh, but it, I remember years ago, I had Bishop Emilio Carvalho, who is a bishop, uh, Methodist bishop in Angola at the time, in the middle of Angola's revolution. And uh, he was visiting Duke. And I was showing him around Duke Chapel. And he was impressed uh, about North Carolinians trying to look like we were in England. And uh, the uh, and so he said to me, uh, oh, I had a hard time here. I, I was baptizing and I I got there. They told me we were going to have 25 people to baptize. And I got there and there were 125 people to baptize. So I got down the river and I started baptizing. But it got to be dark. I said, I've got to go to America uh, on a flight tomorrow and uh, I've got to leave. But I'll, I'll come back. And, and he said they started throwing things. They started throwing rocks. Demanding that I bat, and uh, he said, "So I, 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 the pastors got them settled down, and I said, I promise, when I come back from the United States, I'll baptize the rest of you." And um, so he said, "How many people do you baptize each year here?" And I said, "Oh, well, it's a university chapel. Uh, uh, but but last year I, I think uh, six we we baptized." And he said, "Sixty, sixty," and I said, six. And he said, ah, oh, that is inspiring. And I thought maybe because English is a second language, what do you mean inspiring? And he said, I tell you this, when I go back to Angola, I will tell the sisters and brothers there that I met a man in America who stands up and preaches the gospel every Sunday, even though God has given him no fruit. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, in a way, he was right. Uh, darn it, 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 to bear witness in a time when one does not get response to one's efforts, uh, when one does not see visible results, that can be tough. And I just think there are times when I would be in despair over the fruits of my ministry, like at Duke Chapel. In prayer, it would seem like the Lord said to me, hey, this is a tough neighborhood. Mm. I'm uncomfortable myself in these environments. <laughs> um, they don't want me either, okay? Uh, but you go on out and do the best you can, and I'll show up when I can. Uh, but back, you know, I think preaching to white, privileged, powerful people has its own kind of challenge. And maybe as a preacher, we ought to help congregations admit that challenge oftentimes. Uh, so, I, but but that book, A Gospel Person Has Everything, was an attempt to, as a young preacher, young pastor, to say, how do I, if the if preaching is about speaking to human need, as they define their need, I'm in trouble, because they don't have many needs, and they've solved all the biblical needs, food, housing, clothing, with their checkbooks, so... Now I go on to talk about a purpose-driven life or a sense of meaning. Come on. Uh, it, well. And do you find, is a crass question, but has the pandemic affected that in any way? Are people, I mean, the, the virus is no respecter of privilege or hardly of wealth. Uh, mm. Certainly not of color. Um, so, 
has that stripped away a bit of people's sense of security? <sighs> some, some, I, I believe it has. Um, and I hear that from pastors. My, my people are feeling vulnerable. They're feeling mortal. In other words, they're feeling truthful <laughs> about their situation, maybe in a way they didn't before. However, um, the, you're right. The pandemic does not respect uh, economic levels or race and all. But darn it, uh, one, one phrase that I will not permit my people to use uh, uh, around me is uh, we're all in this together. It, in the United States, we're not all in this together. If you're black, if you're economically disadvantaged, you are most vulnerable and you're dying at a rate higher than people like me, even at my age. And so it's exposed that too. I will say, and I, I, I believe I can get you to back me up on this, Mike. Uh, when, when Methodism here in the States loses <clears throat> God, uh, it, it, our go-to mode of salvation at the moment is sentimentality. And uh, if, I need, if I read another article, uh, like in the Christian Century, on it's, this has been a beautiful time uh, to sit in my backyard and listen to birds, uh, to walk and to just see the beauty of trees. Uh, well, hey, that's because you're affluent and you can afford to do that. You don't have to get up and go work in a supermarket or work by a bedside, uh, emptying bedpans. Um, and I, I do think when people are in pain, they naturally reach out for God's help. Unfortunately, the easiest go-to God substitute in my church family is a kind of sentimentality which says, uh, we're all good, we're all gonna be better after this afterwards, I, I still have a lot of blessings or we, we're all gonna get, get through this. Rather than saying, this may be a time of apocalyptic revelation of our sin, of, of fault lines in our society, uh, of, of my own vulnerability. But well, so it, I think it can work yep. in a variety of ways. Well, thank you so much. We um, getting towards the end of our time. We could carry on for ages. I think this conversation could go on a long, long time. Okay. We'd love to do that, but we have to uh, respect our listeners and their limits on their time. And uh, Will, we're so grateful to you for joining us. And um, it's one of the one of the little by by uh, byproducts of the uh, pandemic that we've been able to have conversations like this uh, with you uh, over in the states and us here in different parts of England and Wales yes. today, which has been a great blessing. It, it's 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 been an honor, and thank you, and thank you for your ministry. Uh, your far-flung ministry. I love it when you get, when you do listener response and it's from India and Sri Lanka and and I'm so um, thank you. Uh, and particularly in the present moment, I think there's kind of no more, there's no better thing we can do in the present moment. Uh, I, I preached on January 10th and the baptism of Christ mm. and it was, the Sunday after the resurrection, uh, the, excuse me, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Yeah. And uh, 
So I was thinking, should I jump my sermon I'd intended to preach? This is awful. And it was the week before the inauguration. So I began my sermon by saying, uh, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to call down fire on the heads of the North Carolina Republican congressional delegation. And they deserve it. And uh, the little cowards. Uh, or I would like to offer Papa Joe some advice. You're an older adult trying to run the country. Here's, here's how you can do it. I wanted to do that. But unfortunately, Mark said, no, no, no. Let, let's talk about the baptism of Jesus. And I said, well, what good does that have to do with anything? And Mark said to me, uh, well, one thing, this is something you know more about than the other stuff. Uh, secondly, if the sky is turning dark, if people are deeply fearful about the future, the most important thing for them to do is to know who God is. And, and so you need the heavens ripped open and you need it direct. This, my son. Well, so uh, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Well, look, if, if you've been listening to this and you want to get a little bit more of what you've heard, um, just look up Will's books on wherever you find books on the internet. Uh, you can find also Will's sermons, which are always really well worth listening to as well. If you kind of uh, look in your podcast and put in Will Willimon, um, W-I-L-L-O-I-M-O-N. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, just in case anyone's looking for that. And, and he's written a book on the seven deadly sins, Graham. You and, you and he would take both. Yeah. Jane, yeah. And I, well, Jane and I don't know enough about sin to do that. But... Never, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You're a great inspiration in that. In that <laughs> Thank <moment>. you. <laughs> Great. Well, anyway, thank you, Will, so much. Thank for you. Today. And uh, thank you to all of you for listening, for listening and uh, we'll be back again with another God Pod before too long. That was God Pod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.